Hello, and welcome to episode three of Rail File. I'm Lou. Here's Nick. Nick, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Lou? You know, we're both pretty excited. This episode, we have none other than Scott Lotus. He is the director of the Center for Railroad Photography and Art. Nick and I have both had some great conversations with him over the years. We're happy to have him on the podcast. Yeah, it is a, a great honor to speak with him, and I'm so glad he's here. The ultimate in speed and dependability, Griswold Automatic Crossing Gates. For over 35 years, the Griswold Signal Company has played an important part in the railroad's indispensable contribution to our nation's economy by supplying the railroads with protective equipment that provides maximum protection at crossings, equipment experience engineered to answer the call for faster schedules, solving the problems of increasing urban and rural traffic, Griswold has become the trusted name in railroad crossing equipment. The Griswold fast-acting crossing gate is the result of these many years of rigid manufacturing and design control. The end result? Dependability that assures the ultimate in crossing protection, 24 hours a day, regardless of weather conditions. Griswold Railway Protective Products, Minneapolis. Here on episode 3 of Rail File, you've got Lou, Nick... And our guest for today's episode is President and Executive Director of the Center for Railroad Photography and Art, Scott Lotus. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on tonight. And uh, thanks also for pronouncing my last name correctly. That's uh, not something I'm used to on a regular basis. <laughs> oh, man. We go the extra mile here on the Rail File Podcast. It's Quality no- control is number one. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm uh, excited to get rolling here. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, I was thinking we should do a brief introduction uh, and perhaps you could talk about your work a little bit at the center and sort of what its mission and talk about the conference, which is coming up. And, coming right uh, up, yeah. Yeah. And then maybe we can talk more about what you're just uh, your your rail fan photography um, more on a personal level uh, sure. for that, because you're pretty well traveled. And I, I think it would be interesting to talk talk about what you yourself personally are interested in also so sounds great to me well yeah cool. so i guess to uh, to start with the center uh we just celebrated our 20th anniversary last year and our mission is to preserve and present significant images of railroading and i'll, I'll try to stay off the boilerplate as much as possible but uh <laughs> it's <laughs> prepared statement <laughs> right 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 but uh you know, I think we're unique among railroad organizations because we have this focus on on imagery and there's this just great relationship between railroads and visual culture. I mean, railroads and photography grew up together. You had the steam locomotive in the 1820s. You had the daguerreotype in 1839, the first successful commercial photography process. And uh, sort of a match made in heaven. I mean, early photographers really looked at the railroads, um, you know, and the trains coming into town. This was always a big news event, something to trot out those large format cameras and, and document and record. And it's, you know, sort of set up this whole wave of, of amateur enthusiasts that get out and, and capture, you know, the passing trackside interest right up to the present day. And uh, it's just got this great culture and great following. And it's such a 
great way, I think, to present and interpret this this really kind of massive system that's the that's the railroad, uh, and get it in a way that we can kind of you know look at it in these discrete visual elements. Uh, I, I I don't know. I just I find it infinitely fascinating. Uh, there's so many different styles and and ways you can approach it, and. Um, uh, I'm really glad that we have this this kind of visual focus at the center. I think it positions us really well in the 21st century in information technology. There's a lot of stories we can tell, and we have wonderful images to tell them with. Yeah, yeah, you guys do a really fantastic job, and you guys put out a uh, a quarterly publication in Railroad Heritage, also, which is um, of all of the magazine uh, publications that are out there right now. I, I, it's uh, it's kind of in a class on its own as far as the photography and the imagery go. It's really top notch. Thank you. Yeah, no, our, our founder, John Gruber, uh, really set us up for great success there. I mean, he, he introduced the magazine in 2000 in the center's early years, um, you know, with kind of these in-depth focuses on photographers and artists and sort of getting behind the the, the camera lens to, to really get into the heads of, of people and see what influenced them and you know what, what they were trying to get at with their art. And it's uh, it's it's a real joy for me to have taken the reins of that. We did a big redesign a couple of years ago to to try to you know go to a, a more contemporary look uh, and better showcase the the art and photography. We try for a balance. I mean, we're definitely heavy on the photography. There's just so much more of that out there. But it's really fun when we're able to find uh, an artist working in another, another medium. Uh, like our most recent issue, we did a feature on a a gentleman down in Iowa named uh, Stuart Buck who does these wonderful pastels. And I mean, pastels are, are not something a lot of serious artists are working. And he really gets the most out of them, just these really vivid colors that bring the landscape and the trains to life. So it's, you know, it's fun to check out that kind of stuff on the art side as well. I was going to say, you know, as as I've grown up, you know, kind of as a photographer, you know, my first CRPA was 2008. And, you know, I think as kind of a cocky rail fan type in his late 20s, I, I'll admit I, I, I rolled my eyes kind of to an embarrassing extent you know i really i was like oh yeah let's look at some 18th century paintings you know or like oh this guy's gonna talk through dinner and you know i think i really missed out because you know as i've gotten older and as my you know taste in railroad you know art photography you know the interpretation thereof you know you guys do really cool work and it's stuff that nobody else is doing. You know, there's there's nobody else who's, you know, taking pastels like you're just talking about or, you know, oil paintings and, you know, explaining where that fits into the world of art, where that fits into the world of railroading. And, you know, to say it's unique is an understatement. You know, you're the only ones doing this. And, oh, you know, you're barely scratching the surface. I'm sure there's so much more out there. Oh, there is. And that's part of what's really exciting for me is just to, you know, to see what we've been able to uncover so far and to think of how much more there is out there. I mean, we sit down to plan the conference every year and, you know, we've got 10 slots and we always start with about 30 or 40 different possibilities on that list. And they're really hard choices. And invariably, we find out somebody new that we've never heard of before. And we're trying to, you know, squeeze them into these lineups. And it's the same thing with the magazine. I mean, I've got, you know, several issues backlogged already. And, you know, again, it's 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 exciting to see the stuff come in and, and a great challenge to try to make space for it. Oh, it's just like running a podcast, man. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. We're all lucky to be in the position we're in right now, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
but no, you know, Lou, I appreciate you saying that about some, you know, your early conference experiences. And I mean, I think I, I, I sort of felt the same way in some regards, but I think also it's, it's kind of a case of like the, the more you learn, the more you learn, you don't know. And I mean, there's just yes. there's so much rich history out there. And the, the deeper I get into my own photography, the more I want to learn about that history. I want to see what other people are doing in my field. And I want to see what what I can learn from other fields. I mean, that's one of the, my first presentation at the conference was in 2008 and it was actually about uh, railroads and literature. And I had an interest in that because I started reading a lot. I was really into, into uh, American literature at that time and all these classic novels, there was railroad imagery in them. I mean, stuff like Steinbeck, um, you know, you read at the Grapes of Wrath there, um, you know, the, the migrant families are heading west and they're seeing these Santa Fe freight trains out on the horizon. Jack Kerouac on the road pacing a Union Pacific streamliner across Nebraska at night. I mean, you know, these are some really evocative pieces of American literature and world literature, too, for that matter. And it was so exciting for me to discover these. And the imagery was so rich, I realized as a photographer, there were things I could take away from this. And I, I've realized that that's the case in really every art form out there. There's things that no matter what you're practicing, you can look at other art and, and find inspiration from it. And that's really exciting to me. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I met Lou at the conference, um, I think in 2009, I believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a really, the conversations conference that you guys put on is so unique in the world of railroad photography because it is, um, you know, it's not the, it's not what you would think of as kind of the typical rail fan crowd that they're certainly well represented there, but, um, yeah, as kind of a cocky know-it-all, I get all of my photos on realpictures.net accepted, no problem kid, uh, at that time, it was a very different and completely, I mean, it was a completely different uh, approach to everything, and it was so uh, interesting and eye-opening, and it was really cool. I remember um, uh, John Corns had a presentation that really stuck out to me and some of his photography showing um, concepts and ideas that were things that I'd never thought of or had seen anywhere before. I have stolen so many of his angles. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I got he did some great stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, his he, commercial work is unreal. He showed yeah. one photo in particular of, uh, I believe the perspective was looking off of the back of a train, and there was another train going on on an adjacent uh, curve going around, and um, it was the in- inspiration for a, a painting I think that Fog did, and I was lucky to replicate a, a very similar composition. Um, when I was riding on a union Pacific excursion and um, yeah, it, it turned out so cool. And I was, yeah, it's, it's a photo I would not have been able to have taken or thought of had I not been at the conference and um, yeah, it was very cool. So. Hey, is it time for a shameless plug? Yeah, absolutely. Always. <laughs> so, so conversations 2018 is coming up April 13th through the 15th on beautiful campus of Lake Forest College, 30 miles north of Chicago, Illinois. Registrations are still open and you can join us by going to railphoto-art.org. You know, I've, I really appreciate the fact that it's called you know, conversations and you know, I've had more, I've had more conversations with other photographers at that conference, just you know, BSing about photos and, you know, approach to railroad photography than any other, you know, rail fan gathering you can think of. I, I think it is such an, it's an aptly named event. 
Yeah, no, I think so too. And one of the things we've done on the planning committee, you know, we go back and look every year at what went well and what could have gone better and try to solicit feedback from the audience. And one thing people always said is they want more time to talk and socialize and converse. And so I think, you know, I think our breaks were like 10 minutes long the first year. And so then they were 15 minutes and they were 20 minutes. And now we have half hour breaks and we have (laughs) receptions on both Friday and Saturday and meals and social hours. And, you know, I mean, I think people love the presentations, but they love the chance to talk with one another uh, every bit as much. And, you know, for me, it's like this just wonderful mixing of so much talent from all over the, the country and even the world. Uh, and everyone's so passionate about what they're doing. And there's so many good ideas. And, you know, those conversations are, are just really wonderful. Well, so, Scott, you've been doing this forever. What's your I don't feel number- old enough to be able to say that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number one CRPA moment? You know, what what guest, you know, which mm. what photographer did you get that just meant the most to you? What's your number one? Oh man, that is a really hard question to You're even, on the spot. even try to ponder. Um well, I tell you, I, I, I'm I'm not going to pigeonhole myself into saying just one. But let's, let's do the top thirty. Yeah, I don't think we have that long either. But I, I will say, and I am just back from Winter Rail, where Blair Koistra closed out the night with a spectacular Milwaukee Roadshow, and a couple of years ago at, at our conference, he gave just what I thought was a wonderful photographer's retrospective, looking back at his career as a photojournalist and as a railroader and how those both influenced his railroad photography. Uh, Just very well illustrated, had a great narrative arc that carried the story all the way through. Um, You know, that's, that's definitely one that's a standout for me. Uh, And then, you know, going beyond that, I mean, David Plowden has presented probably three or four times over the course of the conversation's history. And man, every time he takes the podium that audience is just wrapped with attention and you know we hang on there we hang on his every word and they are so fascinating he speaks so well about the photographic process about the places that he's traveled and photographed the people he's encountered along the way um you know you you just you wish you could have been there with him for every step of the way and i think we all wish we could have learned photography at the feet of david (laughs) plowden i have a great david plowden story um, when when Requiem for Steam came out and he was doing um, he was he was doing a book signing at CRPA, um, I came up to him and I said, you know, I learned to shoot reading your book Bridges. And his wife was there and his wife gives me this look and she runs across the table and she hugged me. And she's like, you have no idea what that means to me. You know, the, the first time I ever met him, you know, David gave me a copy of that book and I read it from cover to cover that day. And, you know, it, I fell in love with him through that book. And she gave me this big hug. David Plowden just started laughing and he's like, oh, ho, ho, you know, this happens a few times a year when somebody <laughs> mentions that book. And it was it was fantastic. He wrote this, this very nice dedication in uh, in Requiem for Steam for me uh, all about how how, you know, he hoped that I enjoyed that book as much as Bridges. And I was like, man, David Plowden, that it was awesome. And, you know, what a CRPA moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just has that presence about him. And, and man, I mean, I think all of us wish we could have uh, made our significant others fall for us through our photography. So you know, <laughs> hats off to David Plowden. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, that that <laughs> that's such a bizarre statement. I don't even know how to respond to that. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Griswold Precision Built Equipment plays a vital part in maintaining safe, efficient railroad and traffic movement. That's why over 25 leading railroads specify Griswold Equipment for dependable performance. Griswold Highway Crossing Equipment has been specially designed and experience engineered from drawing board to finished product to assure this unerring dependability. Each piece of Griswold equipment is thoroughly tested and rigidly controlled to provide the ultimate in performance, year after year. And every component part is assembled exclusively by Griswold. There is no conversion from other products. No wonder Griswold has been a trusted name in railroad crossing equipment for over 30 years. Griswold Signal Company, designers and builders of dependable railroad equipment for 32 years. I think for part two here, we should probably talk about your um, your personal background as a photographer. I know you are, uh, not only do you have a good eye and an outstanding talent yourself, but you've also been very fortunate in that you've been able to travel um, very extensively. Um, and even at a relatively young age, you've got quite a few, uh, you know, you've got plenty of stamps in the passport now and you've been foaming in most of these locations. So I'd, I'd like to hear more about your travels and uh, what you've shot abroad and uh, throughout the U.S. Sure. Well, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate and it's it's been so eye opening and expansive to my own way of thinking to be able to to travel in different countries to meet different people to to see how the railroad works in one place versus another to see what it means in in Asia versus Europe versus North America it, it's all fascinating and uh, just a great part of, of of my education and learning process and you know this all came about very I mean I I, I never really set out to be a world traveler I, I thought I'd, I'd spend most of my time in the U.S. but my wife and I both went to college in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, after we graduated, we were both in jobs that uh, we were just kind of looking for a change. We wanted to do something else. We weren't quite sure what. She had a friend who had taught English in Japan, uh, had been there to visit her, realized it might not be that difficult of a thing to do. I said, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and so we decided to do that. And along the way, I took a little detour through China, uh, thanks to the center, actually. One of our board members, Mike Valentine, had been over there photographing steam uh, had these just incredible images that he came back with so evocative, so much emotion and drama in these shots. And it was still happening. It was not going to last much longer. This was 2005. Um, the Jitong lineup in Inner Mongolia was still running double-headed 2 QJs on, on one division of their main line uh, between Daban and Chabuga. And I'd met someone else also through the Center's Conference, Ronald Olson, who went there a couple times a year, spoke Mandarin, was going to be there the same time I was, wanted help with his night photographs. He takes these, you know, elaborate synchronized night flash setup shots. He wanted someone to help him with that. He knew what they were doing. I wanted someone who spoke the language and knew where the steam locomotives were. And we had a wonderful partnership that ran for mutually beneficial almost three months. Yeah, I think they called it a symbiotic. I was going to say that's not a place where you just show up with the camera and the bike and uh, just kind of go off on your own with no understanding of the language or anything. That would be a tall order. 
Well, well, Ron is six foot six, so he fills the bill for a tall order quite nicely. And uh, (laughs) and it's very easy to spot in a crowd in China, even from great distance. I can imagine. And he he told me he's been the cause of two different bicycle accidents there because someone would just ride past him and be gawking over their shoulder until they ran into a telephone pole or something. If I had a dollar for every time (laughs) that it happened, you know. (laughs) You'd have at least two dollars. Exactly. But, uh, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned the bike because as we were making our plans, you know, Ron actually had a bike that he left over there because he likes to bike and he's so tall that the native bikes don't fit him very well in China. So he had one of his own bikes shipped over uh, and kept it in the shop in Daban because he knew all the railroad workers on the Jitong line and fired engines for them and <laughs> you know, could basically do anything he wanted to over there, which was amazing. And he said, yeah, I was thinking of, it might be fun to just ride my bike along the whole line and camp out along the way and see what photographs I could get doing that. And I thought, that sounds crazy and fantastic. And can I come too? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You can buy a bike for 25 bucks in Daban. I know this because I'd gone and tried to buy a new rack for my mountain bike. The salesman said it was $25. He thought I thought he was pointing at the rack, and that was the price of the entire bicycle. <laughs> Of course, by the time I got there, prices had gone up a little bit, and I think I paid $75 for this absolute piece of trash 10-speed that did not survive the trip, but um, actually trying to find places to get it repaired along the way was, looking back now, part of the fun, because we got to meet a lot more people and, and ask for help and you know, they, they'd come out and make tea for us and show us where the repairmen were. And they'd ride in on their motorcycles on Sunday morning and open up their shop to fix our, you know, my bike for a dollar twenty five or some crazy little sum like that. Um, it was just such a memorable experience in the shadow of a mainline railroad with 30 steam powered freight trains parading by every day. Yeah, I mean, just what a fantastic experience. Incredible. And it was fall, the leaves were changing, there were big plumes of steam in the morning, the moon was shining down at night. I mean, it was, you know, you just, and thank goodness this was in just at the early days of the maturation of digital uh, photography. I had a, a Canon 20D, 8 megapixel, but, you know, pretty high ISO. And, and thankfully that was really, you know, it was just this perfect pairing of the end of steam and the rise of digital photography that I think, you know, allowed so many people to take so many stunning images in China and all over the, you know, all over the, the world, but especially there where steam was, was really in its last days. Um, and, and what an interesting story of this, you know, 19th century technology on its very last legs at the same time, this 21st century technology is rising and to have that, that, narrow intersection in time for those two things to come together and result in this just incredible artwork is, is, I don't know, that's just a fascinating part of the story. And boy, if we're on the subject of those, I have to say I am on a much more recent note. I am so glad I made it to the Gotthard Railway in Switzerland in the spring of 2016, uh, just uh, a few months before almost all the traffic was diverted through the new uh, Gotthard base tunnel, which is more than 30 miles long, well, longest I think tunnel of any kind in the world. Uh, and before that, all of the traffic um, going between um, Germany and Italy, well, not all of it, but the a vast majority of it went over the Gotthard Railway to the tune of 200 trains a day on a line that had, uh, let's see, one spiral tunnel and two helical tunnels on its north slope and four spiral tunnels on its south slope with 2.7% grades, a 10-mile-long summit tunnel in the middle, uh, and just 
one freight train and passenger train after the other, day and night, through these picturesque little Swiss villages with 300-year-old churches and 800-year-old castles and hiking trails that followed the entire thing, including through snow sheds right next to the tracks uh, where you could be perfectly legally uh, and see and photograph everything as it came by. What what a spectacular place. And, you know, time marches on, progress is all around us. All the trains now go through a big new tunnel at 100 miles an hour, um, but I think we lost something too in the, the diversion off of that, that mountain main. Well, line. I mean, it sounds all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's, that's fantastic. Leave, that's right. so cool. No, just a wonderful place. And um, just so much culture and, and history there. I mean, for, for me, again, and as American, and I've been all over Asia, but this is my first trip to Europe in 2016. I've been back once since then, and I'm hoping to go again soon. Um, but to step inside, uh, you know, a stone church that was built in the 1000s, AD. So I mean, a play, a building that's a thousand years old and to step inside that space and to see the, the frescas on the wall uh, and, and just to be surrounded in that with these brand new modern high-speed trains parading by right outside. I mean, such an incredible contrast and a place that, I mean, for me, at least it kind of redefined what my sense of, of history is. That's wild. That's very cool. So, I mean, I think there's just so much, there's so much out there that's, it's this big, wonderful world. I know, you know, we complain about the homogeneity of, of American mainline trains, you know, so many wide cab dash nines and ACs and SD 70 Mac H2 or whatever the latest acronym is. Um, now you you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and yet uh, there's, there's a whole big wide world out there and, you know, yes, it, it does take some, some effort to get to some of these places, but it's it's also not necessarily as challenging as you might think. What advice do you have? You know, if if there if there are rail fan photographers out there, um, well, how do you start? You know, what what's what was the biggest obstacle to you getting abroad, and um, what do you wish you'd done differently? And and how would you start as a a railroad photographer who wants to go on their first big trip? You know, what what advice do you have? I guess my first piece of advice would be to to try to be realistic in your planning. I mean, I, I see so many people traveling abroad who have these insane itineraries where they're going to to you know sleep in a different city every night and, and go so many places and do so much. And you know, I know that there's a great temptation to do that because there's so much to see out there and we have so little time and, and resources to go and see it. Um, but you know, from my perspective, that's that's just not the way I like to travel. I don't feel like you can really, I mean, I love to get below the surface and really get to know a place. And I love to, you know, go to the same place when I'm photographing and see it in different times of day and different light and different weather and different seasons. And, you know, if you're, if you're just you know, going, 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 going on these trips, you're not going to have a chance to do that. So, I mean, I would Try to find a place that really speaks to you. Focus in on that. You know, certainly try to, to get to a couple of different locations, but um, you know, find that one place that you really want to get to for that first trip, and you know, give yourself time to experience it. You're going to be jet lagged when you get there. You'll need a couple of days to really get your body onto the local time, and you need time to just learn how to navigate, how to get around, how to use the train or the bus system. Um, you know, what the natural rhythms of the day are like and the place that you're visiting, you know, what time people eat, you know, how traffic is, 
all these things can, you know, influence your experience of a place and, and how you photograph it. So, you know, and again, you know, that's, that's just my preference for traveling, but I would say if you really want to, to get to know a place and understand and experience it, you know, try to, try to give yourself the time to, to actually do that. Um, you know, on this, on my trip to Europe in 2016, I, I focused on three different mountain railroads there, uh, the Gotthard and the Lurchberg Pass lines in Switzerland and the Simmering Railway in Austria. I had wonderful experiences on all of them, uh, but honestly, if I had to go back and do it over again, I'd probably spend the entire time on the Gotthard line um, because you can't go back and do that again. Uh, I mean, they still have it open for local traffic, but the parade of mainline freight and passenger trains is gone and is never coming back. And I had four spectacular days there, and I'm so thankful for those, but I could have spent two weeks there and, and done so much more and hopefully gotten back to the other places I went to later on. So again, trying to really, trying to really focus uh, on those places that you, or one place that you really want to get to and, and trying to build a trip around that. I mean, I think that's, that's how I love to travel. And, and that's what I'd encourage someone, especially on their first trip to do, you know, bite off something, a reasonable itinerary, um, spend lots of time researching it ahead of time. There's so many great resources out there. The last thing you want to be is, you know, in gorgeous sunset light, trying to figure out where you want to take a shot from. I mean, you can figure out all these things in advance and it just makes it so much easier to make decisions on the fly. If you know that there's a great shot in the morning up this valley and a great shot in the afternoon over here from this hillside, you know, with Google Earth and, and all the modern imaging and mapping tools we have, you can do a lot of that planning ahead of time. And even if you don't get to all those spots and find new things while you're there, I think just having that structure and having that knowledge ahead of time will make your your trip and your decision making on the fly. So yeah, and I, I think the other thing too, as you were alluding to earlier, Scott, is that people, um, especially when you're coming to travel in an area that they're familiar with or where they live, I think people are always anxious, maybe not anxious and maybe not always. People are generally helpful though. People are happy to show other rail fans around, it seems like. And I know both oh, uh, both in my travels around the United States and very briefly in Canada, I mean that that was absolutely the case where um, you know, it, it's pretty it's it's not gonna hurt anything to to hit that contact button on, you know, on Instagram or Flickr or wherever else you're looking at pictures and send a send a message to the photographer and say, hey, um, you know, I was just admiring the shot you got and um yeah can you tell me more about what's going on here what's the schedule like and um they're either going to ignore you they'll tell you uh, they'll answer the questions for you or uh in some cases they'll answer the question and they'll say and by the way you should talk to so and so because he is a, a dispatcher for this railroad or he works there and um yeah reaching out to other people i think is very important and uh yeah yeah, ahead of time and on the road too. I mean, some of my most memorable experiences have been when I got myself into a pickle <laughs> and had to ask someone else to help me get out of it. Uh, and you know, again, when you when you ask for help, I, I, I found that just time and again, people rise to the occasion. And you know, for me, looking back on it, those are often some of the most memorable experiences. So plan ahead and, and you know, get a good plan in place, but then you know, set yourself up to to just go out there and, and take what, what the world offers you and, and, and know that you're probably going to find some help when you ask for it and know that it, 
even if it might be uncomfortable at the time, um, it'll probably lead to some of your best experiences. We've spent the last while here talking to uh, Scott Lotus of the Center for Railroad Photography and Art. They've got a convention coming up in April in, in Lake Forest, Illinois. Scott, thanks for being on the show. Lou, Nick, thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to a conversation with Scott Lotus of the Center for Railroad Photography and Art. This has been episode three of Rail File. If you missed any other episodes, make sure to check us out on the World Wide Web at railfile.com. Download the podcast wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. And if you have any questions, feel free to get in touch. We'll be back with episode four sooner than later. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Do we ever want to do credits at the end where we say produced by Lou? (laughs) Audio engineer Lou. (laughs) 